So if you have your Bibles, please turn them to Acts chapter 22. I appreciate that. We're going to continue on our series, Unstoppable, this morning. We've been in this series for several months now. Uh, we're almost through it. We have a few more messages in this series. I don't remember a, a famous line that came out in a television commercial many years ago, Hair Club for Men. Anybody remember it back in the 80s and 90s? Way back, long, long time ago. If you're around my age, you might remember that commercial that came out. And at the end of the commercial, this man with this full head of hair, after he finished his sales pitch in the commercial and everything, he comes out at the end and he says this, and he says that I'm not just the president of Hair Club for Men, but I'm also a client. And then he takes out a picture and he shows this big picture of him being bald. Remember that? Bald like me, but now he has hair. Do you remember that? Anybody, anybody shake your head? you remember that commercial? That is the power of a satisfied customer. That is the power of a satisfied customer, right? To see that. You see that. Wow. And that, that commercial, many people went and started buying into that and all that kind of stuff. But satisfied customers are really, really important to, to businesses today as companies are trying to expand and, and kind of increase their share of the market today. And they do it in several ways. One of them is through endorsements. They get through celebrities or professional athletes because a satisfied customer will end up telling one to three people about their experience. A dissatisfied customer will end up telling eight to 10 people about their dissatisfaction. They'll tell all kinds. So satisfied customers are really, really important. So my question is, are you a satisfied customer as a follower of Jesus Christ? Are you a satisfied customer as a follower of Jesus? Are you? It's not a trick question. It's not a trick question. We think about that because maybe you're thinking there are a couple of caveats about being a satisfied customer. First one, we are a satisfied customer and at the same time, we didn't purchase anything, did we? We just received something, a free gift. We received it. And secondly, we didn't get a product, but we got a person. With that person, Jesus, we gained so much, didn't we? Eternal life, forgiveness of sins, a hope in eternity in heaven, and all those kind of things. So we are satisfied customers all of us understanding those things. And then by understanding, we go out, we tell about our experience as satisfied customers, and we go share it with one, three, five, 10, maybe 20 people. My question for you this morning is this, in terms of impact in our culture in an unbelieving world, who do you think has more power and impact? Someone who's employed and hired, like myself as a pastor, or as a satisfied customer? Which do you think has more impact? You're not going to hurt my feelings. Come on, what has more impact? Don't say, oh, that. You're not going to hurt my feelings. Go ahead and say it. Satisfied customer, right? They're going to have more impact. They're going to have more influence to an unbelieving world. I mean, I'm a satisfied customer, but we're satisfied customers, and we're satisfied with Jesus. Amen? Anybody that truly knows Jesus, they don't come away, I'm dissatisfied with Jesus. Everyone is satisfied with Jesus if they just give him an opportunity to t show his love to them. So we tell our story as the Unstoppable Church. We share this tremendous story. We have to share our identity with Christ through our story, right? And we share our story so we can share his story, right? Because he has such a tremendous story. And so the Apostle Paul shares his story three times in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 9, chapter 22, and chapters 26. If you have your Bibles, turn into Acts chapter 22. Paul is finishing up his third missionary journey here, and he's ending it in Jerusalem. And he goes to the city of Jerusalem, and he meets with the Jerusalem church leadership. And as he meets with them, they greet him warmly, they welcome him in, and they praise God for Paul's ministry among the Gentiles. And everything looks really good. And then all of a sudden, but many of the believing 
Jews who are zealous for the law. They're called Judaizers. They're very angry with Paul, what they've heard. They've heard some, maybe some false reports about Paul and that, that Paul was teaching the Jews who live among the Gentiles that to turn away from Moses, to not to circumcise their children and not to follow the Jewish customs. So the crowd then that's around Paul, he's trying to speak and stuff, turns into a mob. And they're yelling these things. They're, all kind of things are yelling at him, conflicting things. And, and the crowd becomes uncontrollable. So much that what happens is the Roman guard has to come in and they have to rescue Paul. They come in and grab him because they think that people are going to kill him. So they go in and get him. And one of the things they're wondering is, why, what makes this about this Paul that makes people so angry? That every place he goes, people become so angry with the Apostle Paul that they want to kill him. So not only to go in to, to grab him, to give him coverage, but they're going to interrogate him, start to interrogate him. So Paul says to the Roman commander, may I say something? And the commander asks Paul, he says, do you speak Greek? And he says, aren't you the Egyptian that led a revolt and carried 4,000 terrorists out into the desert? You led them out into the desert. And what he had here was a mistaken identity by the commander. He says, aren't you the guy? And Paul goes, no, no, I'm a Jew. I come from Tarsus and Cilicia. Please let me speak to the people. Will you give me permission to speak to the people? The commander grants him permission to speak. He kind of raises his hands to get the people to quiet down. And then Paul begins to share his story. And what we find here, his story is found in three parts. The same as your story, if you know Jesus Christ, it's found in three parts. And I want to share with you how Paul shared his story in three parts, in probably the way we should be sharing our story as followers of Jesus Christ in three parts. So let's look at this. The first part that, got, that Paul shares his story, first part of your story, is life apart from Christ. Life without Christ. Uh, life, life before Christ, as we say. So that's the first part of the story that he's going to share. And let's look at it, verse 1. He goes, brothers and fathers, listen now to my defense. The word defense, there is a word where we get apologia from, where we also get the word apologetics. It's where it's a defense. And when you think about this, you think apologetics, you think it's a, a defense of the faith. That you're kind of expecting a philosophical or ra rational view of the faith, right? Where maybe five steps to prove the existence of God or maybe seven steps to prove the, the evidence of the resurrection or something like that. That's what you're looking for. But Paul's defense of his faith is very interesting, what you find here. His apology was his story. That's how he's defending his faith. That's how he's defending people who want to kill him. Not giving him all this doctrine, but he's telling his story. Listen to my story is what he's saying. And in his story, what we find is God's story. That's what he's sharing here. In his story, we find God's story. Verse 2, when they heard him speak to them in Aramaic, they became very quiet. He's identifying with the Jews here that not only can he speak Greek, but he can speak Aramaic. And so they're interested. Man, this guy can speak Aramaic, so they're listening to him. And then Paul said in verse 3, I am a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia. There he's identifying with the Hellenistic Jews there. And, but brought up in this, this city under Gamaliel, I was thoroughly trained in the law of our fathers, was just as zealous for God as any of you are today. So Paul is sort of complimenting them he was identifying with them. He says, I was one of you. I was one of you. I'm identifying with you. And he goes on in verse 4. I persecuted the followers of this way to their death. That was the way of the church. It was Christians he was talking about. The way the Christians, Christianity, arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison. As also the high priest and all the council can testify. I even obtained letters from them to their brothers in Damascus and went there to bring these people as prisoners to Jerusalem to be punished. 
he is defending his Jewish pedigree, identifying with these people, and he's sharing his life before Christ. This is my life without Christ. And his story is that he's a well, very well-educated man who spoke several languages. And he was also very zealous for his faith, so zealous that if anybody opposed his faith, like the early believers in, in the church or early believers in Christ, that he would go after them to persecute them, even to arrest them, even to put them to death. It is referring to this, to this time now where he had letters and he was going to Damascus with these letters uh, to find these Christians, to arrest them, to bring them back to Jerusalem to face punishment for death is what he was talking about. And this was Paul's life before Christ. This is how he lived before he came to know Jesus Christ as a Savior, what he's saying. What is your life like before Christ? What is your story? You say, this was my life before I put my faith in Jesus. What was your story? All our stories are going to be different, aren't they? They're all going to be different. My life before Christ is I didn't go to church as a child. I didn't learn about God from Sunday school or anything like that. I, I did my own thing, looking to my own interests, not really walking with God. Be honest, I wasn't really interested in God growing up as a child. I kind of did my own thing. But if you asked me, I would say, oh, I'm going to go to heaven because I'm better than my buddy over here or this guy or somebody else I knew, right? Because I thought God was going to grade on a curve. And I thought, long as I tried to be good, I was going to be okay. I don't know where I came up with that philosophy. It's not found in Scripture or anything like that. But that's what I believed growing up. I didn't come to Jesus Christ as my Savior, to trust Him as my Savior until I was in my 20s. So I grew up like that. And some of you might be different. Some of you might have got saved maybe as a young child, maybe as a young teen. So you don't have much life before Jesus. All you know is Jesus, right? But some of you, maybe you grew up as a skeptic and you're always were questioning. You're always were wondering, how could this be true and real? Always trying to rationalize it. Always trying to make sense of it all. And you're looking at, what, what does it make sense? You're always asking questions. That's okay. Some of you perhaps came out of your addictions, out of the depths of your addictions, that you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, and he rescued from those addictions, right? And you praise God. And you would have come to Christ at eight years old, not even maybe 18, but maybe 28, 48, or maybe even 68 years old when you came to accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, but you accepted him. But all of our details are different. But there's one thing that's universal. There's one thing common in all of our stories is we all needed Jesus. Amen? We all needed Jesus. All of us did. Romans chapter 3, verse 23 tells us, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That says that every one of us are sinners. Romans chapter 3, verse 10 through 12 tells about our total depravity. We're all in sin. It says it here. It says in verse 10, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one right with God, it says. Not one person's right with God. It goes on in verse 11. There is no one who understands. No one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. So the apostle Paul is putting this everybody on the earth on the same playing field. The same playing field. We're all sinners and all of us need Jesus. Would you agree? All of us need Jesus. That's what he's saying. Every one of us needs Jesus. I remember there was a lady that I, I remember hearing her say this. She said, I will solve my own problems. I can will my way and work my way through anything. And you listen to that on the surface, that sounds kind of admirable, doesn't it? Until you get down in it. But there are things that, that God brings in our life, that God helps things come in our life to help us to realize that we were never meant to live this life apart from God. Do you realize that? Let, let's, let's agree. There, there's things that come in our life that are bigger than us. They say, I can't handle this. 
this is too big, this is too much, this is overwhelming me. And God allows those things to come into our life to help you and I understand that we're never meant to live this life without God. This, this lady's answer is not a virtue, it was isolation. She was in isolation. And we were never meant to live in isolation. We were built and created for and designed for relationships. You realize that? God designed us for relationships. Relationship with God through Jesus first, but relationships with others. God knew we need, needed that. We knew th- needed these relationships. And there come things come into our lives for you and I to come to understand that I need God in my life. There's things bigger than myself, things that are much bigger than me. And I need God, and I come to him through Jesus, but I need other people. And that's one of the reasons God created the church the community of believers, community for people to come together because we need one another. We need to lean and pray together and fellowship together. We need each other. That's why God says, you may not think you need other people, but you do. That's why he created the church for you and I. That we need Christ, we need God to have that relationship with him, but we need relationships with other people. We need each other. I need you and you need me, right? We need each other. And and then Paul goes now to his next stage. What was the first stage? What was number one? Life, uh, Apart. One more time. Life uh, apart from Christ. Before Christ, right? Without Christ. And then the second part of his story is the day we accepted Christ. The day he accepted Christ. And Paul's got a tremendous story here. Tremendous story. Let's read verses 6 through 10 and read Paul's story. He says, About noon, as I came near Damascus, suddenly a bright light from heaven flashed around me. And I fell to the ground and heard a voice say to me, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Before, his name used to be Saul, and, and God changed his name to Paul, right? You know that, right? Saul and Paul are the same, same people. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord, I asked. I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting, he replied. My companions saw the light, but they did not understand the voice of him who was speaking to me. What shall I do, I asked. Get up, the Lord said, and go into Damascus. There you'll be told all that you've been assigned to do. Before we leave this, there's an important principle in regards to this, that Paul, in his before Christ days, he was persecuting the church, right? Persecuting Christians, even to their death. And Jesus interrupts him on his way to persecute more Christians. And Jesus interrupts him, and he says, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Think about that. Saul, Paul, was persecuting Christians who were telling about Jesus and the resurrection. He was persecuting people, but Jesus took it personal and said, Paul, why are you persecuting me? Whatever you do to those Christians, you are doing to me, my followers. Why are you persecuting me? A few years ago, there was a story that came out of Florida at the Atlantic University. Many years ago, there was an assignment in the class, and the purpose of the assignment, according to the curriculum, was, was to help the students understand that images can have power over people. Or the power of images, how people can overcome those. So the assignment was that they would take out a sheet of paper and they would write the word Jesus on that piece of paper. Then they would take that piece of paper and they would put it on the ground. And once it was on the ground, they stomp on it. And they stomp on it. And they stomp on it. And there was one student who refused to do that. And since they refused to do it, they were suspended from the university. They appealed to the, to the administration, and finally the administration, the university came out and apologized. We're sort of, here was their apology. It says, if this was offensive to anyone, we are sorry. That sound like much of an apology? If this was offensive to anyone, we are sorry. First of all, 
Can you imagine, can you just imagine the name of any other religious leader's name being put on a piece of paper and stomped on? Can you imagine that? The uproar that would cause internationally around the world where there would be riots because of that, somebody did that, and maybe people put to death because of that, right? But here we have our Lord. His name is here, and people are putting it on the ground, and they're stomping on it. They're stomping on it. The persecution of Jesus we see all around us today, even our own country, we see that. But we should not be surprised because Jesus said in himself, he says, a servant isn't any greater than his master. He says, if they hate me and they persecute me, they're going to hate you and they're going to persecute you. So there's going to be persecution. There's going to be persecution. We should expect that. They're going to persecute Jesus, and if they did it to him, they're going to do it to us. Our task as followers of Jesus is to tell the story about this Jesus who can save the world, right? The only one that can truly save the world is Jesus. And our task and our wonderful assignment, the greatest assignment ever be given is to tell people about this Jesus who can save the world, who can save people, right? For eternity, not just for a short while, but for eternity. Uh, Jesus said, he said to, to Paul, why are you persecuting me? Let's read verse 10 again. He said, what shall I do, Lord? I asked, get up, the Lord said, and go into Damascus. There you will be told all that you have been assigned to do. My companions led me by the hand into Damascus because the brilliance of the light had blinded me. A man named Ananias came to see me. He was a devout observer of the law and highly respected by all the Jews living there. He stood beside me and said, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very moment, I was able to see him. Then he said, The God of our fathers has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear words from his mouth talking about Jesus, to see Jesus. You will be his witness to all men of what you have seen and heard. And now, what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, and wash your sins away, calling on his name. This was Paul's day. This was Paul's day where he met Jesus, where he accepted Jesus Christ as his Savior. How many of you had that dramatic experience like the Apostle Paul? That maybe you were driving to to Walmart, and all of a sudden, this bright light shine, brighter than you've ever seen, it blinds you, and then you hear the voice of Jesus. Probably none of us had that experience, right? But maybe you came to know Christ at a Christian camp. Maybe it was at a vacation Bible school. Maybe it was a service just like this where the pastor was sharing, you heard it from them, or a Sunday school teacher, or mom and dad, or a grandparent, or a friend shared with you. See, all of our stories are different. It is God who writes the story, and it makes you an eye part of his story is what God is doing. He's writing the story of your life, but he's making you a part of his story because that's what he wants. He wants you to be a part of his story. Let me read a couple of scripture passages. Uh, it, first one is Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10, that he says, the apostle Paul writes, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified is with your mouth that you confess and are saved, the Bible says. And that's the way to salvation, that you and I come to understand that I'm a sinner, and we're all sinners, and there's no way I can approach a holy, just God, right? We all have to come to that realization. We're all sinners. Let's be honest. How many of you in here have never sinned? We've all sinned, right? We're sinners. And that God loves us, and he sent his son, Jesus, from heaven, who is God, Jesus is God. He's fully God. And as the Son of God, he came down to this earth, and he took on the form of a human being. And then he went to the cross, and God placed all my sins, your sins, the sins of the whole world upon Jesus. And Jesus died on the cross for our sins. He was buried and raised on the third day. 
But that death that Jesus died on the cross was a full payment for your sins. He was your substitute. He took your place upon that cross and he paid all of your sins completely, a full payment. And now the Bible says, whenever you believe that and you receive that by faith, when you believe what Jesus did for you, who he is and what he did for you on the cross, and receive that by faith. I love what it says at the end of Romans chapter 10, verse 9. It says, you will be saved. Don't you like that? You will be saved. One of the questions I'm often asked by people, it says, can we really know for sure we're going to heaven? You ever hear that one? I mean, how, how, how do you really know for sure that you're going to go to heaven when you die? Isn't that kind of overconfidence to think that way, right? And many people will say that. Is it kind of overconfidence? See, our confidence isn't in us. Our confidence isn't in how we live. Our confidence isn't in our accomplishments. Our confidence is in who Jesus is, Right? that he is God. Our confidence is what Jesus did on the cross for us, right? That he died on the cross for his sins, was buried and raised on the third day. And our confidence is in his word, what he said. And Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, inspired by Christ here, says here in this chapter, Romans chapter 10, verse 9, you will be saved. A couple verses later, he says in verse 13, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, he says. And I love what the Apostle John writes in 1 John chapter 5, verse 10 through 13. He says, and this is the testimony. This is a really important verse. Write this down. 1 John chapter 5, verse 10 through 13. He says, this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know. Let me say it again. So that you may know so that you may know that you have eternal life. And that's the way to salvation. It comes down to this. How do I know I've accepted Christ? Do you have the Son? That's what John is saying. Have you had that time where you accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior? Have you? Have you? Ask yourself. Don't just, oh, maybe. If you're sitting here and say, I don't really know, let me just be honest, you probably haven't. You probably haven't. Because if you have the Son, if you accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you know, right? You know I have him. And the Bible says, if you have the Son, you have life. And that life it's talking about is eternal life. If you do not have the Son of God, if you've never accepted Jesus, you do not have eternal life. You don't find forgiveness of sins with God. You don't have that relationship with God. You don't have the hope and eternity in heaven with God. You don't have that. You only have that through his Son, Jesus. So if you had that time in your life, where you say, boy, I, I've accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior. It's really important. Have you had that? Do you know that time? You say, well, I don't know the day or the month. That's, that's what's important. It's important if I had that time where I said yes to Jesus, where I put my faith and trust in Jesus. The Bible said it's for the, by grace you've been saved through faith. God is calling us. No one seeks God on their own. God has drawn us to him through Jesus, helping us to understand who he is and what he did for us. Have you had that day where you said yes to Jesus to put your faith and trust in him? Paul goes on to speak and he shares the, the day that he met Jesus on the road to Damascus. That was his day. That was the day he met Christ. That was the day he believed. That was the day he accepted Jesus Christ. And he says, then I went into Damascus and after believing, I was baptized. After I was baptized, he says, I left to go back to Jerusalem. And then we have verse 17 through 20. He says, when I returned to Jerusalem, and was praying in the temple, I fell into a trance and saw the Lord speaking. Quick, he said to me, leave Jerusalem immediately because they will not accept your testimony about me. 
Verse 19, Lord, I replied, these men know that I went from one synagogue to another to imprison and beat those who believe in you. And when the blood of your martyr, your martyr Stephen was shed, I stood there giving my approval and guarding the clothes of those who were killing them. And Paul is saying here, he says, I was in Jerusalem. And he goes, and I was there, going there to minister. But then Jesus said to me, in verse 21, let's read verse 21. Then the Lord said to me, Jesus said to me, go, I will send you far away to the Gentiles. And he's sharing his testimony with the people. When the mob, when the quiet people, when they heard this, they were quiet. When they heard this, they turned into a mob. They turned into a riot. Why? Because he mentioned one word. What was that word? What was the word? You follow me? What was the word he mentioned? Gentiles. He mentioned Gentiles. These were Jews. They did not want to hear about the Gentiles. And as soon as he said that, it turned into a riot, a mob. They wanted to kill him. They wanted to get rid of him. Let's get rid of this man. He doesn't deserve to live. They wanted to kill him. And that's the third part of Paul's story is what we find here. The third part of your story, the part of your journey, and it's this, is life in Christ. Life in Christ. If you know Christ, now you have life in Christ and living with Christ, right? We have life in Christ and living with Christ. It's life, live life through the power of the Holy Spirit is what we're supposed to do, right? Living life through the power of the Holy Spirit. Heaven, in this day of salvation, the day we accepted Jesus, totally forgiven by God. All of our sins have been forgiven by God. Can you imagine that? On this day, God looked at Paul differently from that moment on that accepted Jesus Christ as a Savior, not through his sin, but through the righteousness of Christ. He looked at him that way from that moment on. No longer did he look at him. Isn't a wonderful thought, thought for you and I to understand that, that God doesn't look at me, he doesn't look at me now through my sin, but he looks at me now through the righteousness I received through Christ. Isn't that a wonderful thought? The righteousness I received through Christ, that's my standing. The Bible says you have been justified. The moment you accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you've been justified. That means you've been declared righteous by God. You've been declared right with God. That now God looks at you, once you accept Christ as your Savior, you put your faith and trust in Him, God looks at you through the blood of Jesus. And that's how He looks at you, right through the blood of Jesus. And He sees you that you're right with God, is right with Him as His own Son. That's your standing. That's your standing before God. So when God looks at you, He's not looking at your sin and all your failures. He's looking at the righteousness of Christ. That's who he sees. That's your standing. But many times my behavior, my walk, doesn't represent that standing, right? Many times my walk and my behavior isn't righteous, but that doesn't change my standing before God. That's who I am. Righteousness of Christ, that's how he looks at us. And isn't it amazing that now I know Jesus? And so many times Christians looked at, man, God is just uh, uh, looking at me wrong. No, God never looks at you wrong. He looks at you through the righteousness of Christ. And you are his child. He loves you. And he wants you to walk with him. He wants to help you to walk with him. And we're justified the moment we are, accept Christ. We're declared righteous. And now we're sanctified the next phase of our life. And once we accept Christ, God has set us apart for good works. And he's forming us, conforming us, and transforming us who he wants us to be like Jesus. Taking those things that we no longer lead in this life and changing us and transforming us to be like Jesus. And Paul here, inspired by the Holy Spirit and moved by the Spirit, he moves along in this Christian experience, growing and ministering and sharing his story so he can share God's story over and over and over again because his story, as he shares it, involves God's story. That every time we share our story to people, it should, it should involve God's story. God's story should be interweaved in there, right? That's that middle one, the second one, that life 
that life in Christ that I now, that time I accepted Jesus. It should have that in there. So our life should have before Christ, the time I accepted Christ, and now my life in Christ, how he's changed my life. And so what, what happens here, that's where we have this satisfied customers come in. Remember I talked about that at the beginning? I'm going to interweave that in here. And then we have to have a credible testimony as satisfied customers. Imagine that guy, if the hair club for men guy, we're going back to that, that hair club for men guy would have got up there and says, not only am I the president for hair club for men, but also a client, and he still had bald. He was still bald, like me. His head was still like me, and he says, boy, I've used the product, and look what it's done to me. You would look at that and say, what? Would you buy the product? Not even at a discount, would you? Because there's no credibility. It lacks credibility. And that's the same way with us. So as satisfied customers, there's got to be a sense of credibility with this, right? We've got to have a sense of credibility. Not perfection, because none of us are perfect. None of us are perfect here. We're all sinners saved by God's grace. So we move along in this Christian experience, and we share our story. That's what we're called to do, share our story. But sometimes we blow it. And sometimes we mess up, and sometimes we sin in all kinds of different ways. So what do we do when we sin? Do we go back to the cross and get saved all over again? Is that what we got to do? Every time I sin, I got to go back and I got to accept Jesus Christ as my Savior. Is that what I'm supposed to do? No, that's not necessary. Jesus makes it very clear on the night before he was crucified. Remember, he's in the upper room and he's washing the disciples' feet. And he comes and he's washing their feet. And he comes to Peter and says, I got to wash your feet. And Peter said, no, you got to wash my feet. He says, Peter, if you don't let me wash your feet, you have no part of my kingdom. Then wash my feet. Wash all of me. Bathe me. And Jesus was basically saying this to Peter. He says, no, it's not necessary for you to be bathed again through the cross. You've just been out in the world. And he says, you've got your feet dirty. What you need to do is confess your sins. You need to wash your feet. That's what he was talking about. You need to wash your feet. Confess your sins. The Apostle John writes in 1 John 1, 9, if you don't have this verse down, write it down. 1 John 1, 9, he says, if we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and then purify us from all unrighteousness. This is one of my most favorite passages in the Bible. It's one of the greatest promises in the Bible that we have. Why? Because I sin. And I'm not going to tell you about my sin. We all sin, don't we? And it's a great promise that God gives us in the Bible that if we sin, confess it, and God promises to forgive us all of our sins. That's what he's promised that's what we have here. And then the scripture goes on and tells us in 1 John chapter 2 verse 1, he writes, but if anybody does sin, this is written to believers, if anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense. Who is it? Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He speaks in our defense. And so when we sin, according to Revelation chapter 12, the evil one, Satan's before the throne room of God, and he's accuser of the brothers and sisters in Christ. And he looks, and I confess my sin to God. He says, oh, there goes Doug again for the 648th time. He's confessed that sin. How many times are you going to uh, forgive him? And how many times? Just get rid of him. Just get rid of him. And my defense attorney, Jesus Christ, stands up, who's never lost a case, says, I've covered that with my blood. I've covered that with my blood. No matter how many times I confess it, that's covered by my blood. That's covered by my blood. And every time, if you know Christ, you're your Savior, doesn't matter what you've done, Jesus said, that's covered by my blood. And doesn't know if you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, and you're here, you don't know what I've done with my life, no matter what you've done, Christ's blood covered all your sins, no matter what it is, no matter what you've done. And he'll accept all. We just have to come to him. 
But we have to have this credibility as satisfied customers, not perfection, just credibility. When we sin, let's be good confessors of our sin. Let's confess right away. But as we're living this life, God's goal for you and I is not just to save us, to conform us and transform us to the likeness of Jesus. So every day as we're being transformed to the likeness of Jesus, it should mean that we sin less and less, right? That I become more like Christ. That those old things are getting out of my life and I got new stuff coming to my life, right? Not that we're going to arrive on this side of eternity. We're never going to be perfect on this side of eternity. That's what heaven's all about. We're going to be perfect. I'm going to struggle. But I shouldn't take advantage of God's grace. That boy, when I sin, I just kind of elevate God's grace in my life. Paul says, no, don't do that. Don't do that. Let's walk with Christ. Let's be followers of Jesus. But when we do sin, and all of us do, let's be good confessors of our sin. Let's confess it right away. If we're going to have an impact on our world, and hopefully you want to be, you want to be on mission, then we have to live and love like Jesus, right? We have to do that. And Psalm 113 talks about that. It says that God is so high and lifted up, he's exalted above the heavens. The Bible says that he has to stoop down to entertain you and I in his thoughts. He actually has to stoop down to entertain you and I in his thoughts. Think about that. God is so high and lifted up, he has to stoop down. But the point is that he does. He does do that. He gives us two illustrations in Psalm 113. The first one, he hears the prayers of a barren woman, a woman who's longing to have a baby. She's crying, she's weeping, and God hears her prayers. Of all the people in the universe, of all the people in the world, God hears her prayers. And he's telling us that he hears everyone else's prayer. The second one, it says he sees the man in the ash heap or the man that's in the garbage dump, a man who nobody knows. And God lifts him up to sit with princes. You say, who cares about these people? God does. God cares. Jesus cares. Because they care, we should care. But we're not responsible for the outcome. We're not responsible for the outcome. I would love to tell you in Acts chapter 22, as Paul shared his testimony, shared his story, which included God's story, that in, and at the end of it, he says, how many of you want to come to accept my Jesus? How many come, want to come and accept Jesus? And many people raised their hand and came forward, and well, it was just a, 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 just a, a changed life event, but it wasn't. When Paul got done sharing his story, they turned on Paul, and they wanted to kill him. They wanted to arrest him and kill him and, and get rid of him, as they said. They wanted to get rid of him. So let me ask you, was he successful in then sharing his story? Nobody came to Christ. He shared with all of his heart, with all of passion, the Apostle Paul, who wrote 13 of the New Testament book, 13 letters of the New Testament. He shared this, and nothing, nobody came to Christ. Was he successful in sharing his story? Yes, he was, because success isn't based on faithfulness. Success is based on faithfulness, I'm sorry, because success is based on faithfulness, not on results. We leave the results to God. We're called just to be faithful. We don't come and say, boy, this person's going to get saved. And they don't get saved. Oh, I was a failure at sharing. No, that's not mine. Mine is just to be, be faithful in sharing my story while sharing God's story too. That's what we're called to do. I'm so glad God didn't say to me and say to you, go out and save people, right? God didn't say that to us, did he? Because I can't save anyone and you can't save anyone. But what he did share, what Jesus did share, he says, go make disciples. Share your story and share my story. That's what we're called to do and leave the results to God. Leave all the results to God. But we're supposed to share our story so we can share his story. We don't just share our story about our life, but we share our story so we can share God's story of what Jesus did for us, and how we have this, this righteousness of Jesus, how we have this forgiveness of sins, because Christ died on the cross for our sins and paid for, for our sins for us. So to close, I have two questions. 
Do you have this day in your life where you accepted Jesus Christ your Savior? Do you? Yes, yes, do you? And if you do, praise God every day for that. Thank God that you have that day. If you don't, today make it that day. Today, if you have questions, you still have questions that need to be answered, come up. I'd be glad to answer any of your questions if I can and, and to talk with you. But make that happen. Make that happen. You trust Jesus Christ, your Savior. And all it is is you come, and you come and you realize I'm a sinner, and I realize that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins. And today, by God's grace, I come to him, and I accept what Jesus did for me, that he paid for my sins upon the cross, and I put my faith and my trust in Jesus. I trust him as my Savior. It's simple as that. Then I come and I put my faith in him. And then I become a child of God. And then I can know for sure that I'm going to heaven, right? Because we want to know for sure. We can know for sure. Because of what verse? First John 5, 13 tells us, right? That we can know for sure we're going to heaven. And God wants us to know for sure. He wants us to know for sure we're his children. He wants us to know for sure. All of us who accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior, we now have life in Christ. Isn't that wonderful, amazing? We are in Christ, and we have life in Christ. Let's live on mission for God. Let's live on mission for Jesus. As satisfied customers, let's share it with one, three, five, or ten people this week. Let's be willing to invite people to come out to Easter, to join us in the resurrection of Christ, so they too can hear the story about Jesus, so they too can hear the gospel next week. But let's be on mission this week so we can share our story. Remember, our story includes life before Christ, the day I accepted Christ in my life in Christ. Let's be on mission. Let's be on mission that wherever we go and whoever we're with, they will magnify Christ and share our story so we can share his story. Let's be on mission for Jesus. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we come and we praise you. We praise you, God, that you are such a wonderful, awesome, beautiful God, that you love us even though we don't deserve your love. You love us, Lord, in unconditional love that you chose to love us, and you will never change your mind about that love that you have for us. So much that you sent your Son and committed your Son to us that he died on the cross for our sins, was buried and raised on the third day. And, Lord, that can never be taken back. That is for ours for all of eternity. And I pray that everyone in this room and anyone listening online uh, has trusted Christ as their Savior, that they know Jesus. They've had that day where they accepted Christ, that they know the Son. They accepted Jesus, and they have the Son, so they have life. I pray if there's anyone that is listening or here today that does not know Jesus, they understand they don't have life. They don't have forgiveness of sins. They don't have the hope in eternity in heaven. They don't have that, because that only comes through one person, through one way, and that is through Jesus Christ, God's Son, who is the Son of God, who died on the cross for our sins, was buried and raised on the third day. I pray for that person who may not know you or unsure that today, Lord, today they would make that decision for Jesus and put their faith and trust in Jesus. I pray for all of us who do know Christ, that, Lord, help us, and no matter where we are in our walk with Jesus, no matter if we've been floundering around in our walk and haven't been really lived for Jesus, today, Lord, we make that decision, make that commitment. Today, today I'm going to choose to live for Christ. Today I'm going to look for those opportunities and be on mission for Jesus. Today. I'm going to do that. And this week, I'm going to be on a mission to share my story so I can share God's story. And my story should include, all of our stories should include my life before I came to Christ, how I accepted Christ, this most important part, how did I accept Jesus, and now my life after Christ, how God has changed me. 
And I pray that each and every one of us would understand and share our story because our story was used by the Apostle Paul to great effect. And our stories are so powerful. No one can deny what Jesus has done in our hearts and minds. And it opens up the door to share your story, the greatest story ever told, the greatest story, the good news, the greatest news of all, to get an opportunity to share that story with others about Jesus. And I pray we have opportunities to do that. So we lift up our hearts and minds, Lord, as we leave here today, we came in here to fellowship and worship together, that we leave here today as your evangelist, as the sign says, as we leave on the door, we're on mission for Jesus. We're on mission. We leave here on mission. And I pray all of us understand that the word is mission time for all of us. And I pray that for us, Lord. Now, Lord, as we're getting our hearts and minds ready for Passion Week, for Holy Week, and remembering our Lord and Savior who died on the cross for us, Lord, and we celebrate that on Good Friday, that, Lord, you would just get our hearts and minds as, as we think about the Lamb of God who died on the cross for our sins. We spend time with him, to worship him, to thank him, that our hearts would surely be filled with gratitude for all he did. For he suffered and died, not just for nobodies, but for us, for me, for each one of us as individuals, for the whole world, but also for me. And I would come and remember what he so graciously did. That Lord, he praise you and thank you for that life that you gave up, that you died on the cross for his sins, that you really did bleed on that cross. You really did die. And the fact that you were buried reminds us of the fact that you died. But you came out of that grave three days later, and we're going to celebrate that next Sunday. But, Lord, we would spend this time remembering what it cost you. The Garden of Gethsemane, you're sweating the great drops of blood. All those things would be in our hearts and minds this week as we think about Passion Week. What you went through for us, because you love us, because you desire to have a relationship with us. And you would do whatever it takes to have that relationship, even given your own life as you did. So, Lord, we praise you and we thank you for you are worthy. You are worthy of our worship. We love you and we praise you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.